At long last, inshallah, we are able to start this talk on trust. Obviously, it's a very big subject. It's not going to be covering all the aspects of trust as enumerated in the Qur'an. But I feel I ought to start with a little apology because of the hastiness with which it was prepared in spite of the fact we had weeks of postponing the subject. <clears throat> so dealing with a very important subject, trust, amala. If we get this right, we would find, inshallah, relationships improve and the religion is promoted. Because if we can't give over, make over the trust to whom it belongs, in the appropriate way, we would find that the primary concern was not the advancement of the religion, but rather the advancement of one's own desires. And in making over of trust as mentioned, we start off with an ayah in the Qur'an from Surah Al-Nisa, the fourth surah, ayah 38, 58. <laughs> بَيْنَ النَّاسِ أَنْ تَحْكُمُوا بِالْعَدْلِ إِنَّ اللَّهَ نِعِمْ نِعِمْ مَا يَعِذُكُمْ بِهِ إِنَّ اللَّهَ كَنَا سَمِيعًا بَصِيرًا Allah does command you to render back your trust to those of whom they are due. And when you judge between man and man, that you judge with justice. Finally, how excellent is the teaching which He gives you, for Allah is He who hears and sees all things. This constitutes one of the primary functions of human beings. To be able to deal justly with each other, implement the justice which is enshrined, embedded in the Quran and the Sunnah, in the Sharia, one has to have a balanced perspective regarding making over of trust, appropriate things to whom they belong. And there are two kinds. And this talk is taken from a book written by Shaykh Ibn Taymiyyah and all the hadith, all the evidence is coming from that particular book. And he mentions that the, the trusts are of two kinds. The making over of trusts to those worthy of them is of two kinds. And we want to be dealing with the very first one today. One is related to public functions. For example, the exercise of authority, which was the cause of the above verse uh, revealed. And the second one concerns goods. For example, we find in the Qur'an, if you are on a journey and cannot find a scribe, a pledge with possession may serve the purpose. And if one of you deposits a thing on trust to another, let the trustee faithfully discharge his trust and let him fear his Lord. And do not conceal the evidence. That's our thing. Suppose I give you something to look after. Look after this until I come back and demand this back off you. And you look after it, and when I ask it, you give it back to me. That's the second type of trust, which is not what we are dealing with today. We're dealing with the first one, relating to public functions. It could be anything, like exercising authority on the part of the Khalifa, the ruler, or it could be the husband looking after the family, it could be the Amir of a Jama'ah overseeing the work of da'wah belonging to any organization. Public functions, it could be like seeing to road building, to digging up wells, it could be any municipal functions at all. Something which concerns the public. And that first one is subdivided into four other parts. Which we have to consider if we are going to be able to render the trust properly, inshallah. The four parts are as follows. First to choose the right man in the right place. And we'll be looking at each of these topics as a subheading in detail as we go along, inshallah. The right man in the right place. Secondly, the best man available. Thirdly, capacity and loyalty. We have to judge both of these qualities and then assume a stance based on what we have found out. And finally, how to choose the best. We must understand and know how to choose the best man for this, for this purpose. What best fulfills the function we are trying to carry out. At the end of the day, we are trying to serve Allah by doing justice to the Muslims, to the people, God's creation at large, and to the Muslims in a limited way. To the right man in the right place. This will become clear. The very first 
verse that we read, when it first verse that we read, it was revealed in connection with the keys of the Kaaba. A certain tribe used to look after the keys to the Kaaba. Just like certain tribes used to look after giving the water to go to the pilgrims and the food and accommodation and so on. And so when after Makkah was conquered, and when some received the keys of the Kaaba from Banu Shaiba, they were the people who were in charge of entrusted, if you like, with looking after the keys of the Kaaba. Al Abbas Anhu, the Prophet uncle, asked Muhammad to grant him the custody of the Kaaba. So it used to be the Banu Shaiba, and then it came in the hands of Prophet after conquering Makkah, Fath al Makkah. And then Al Abbas, the uncle of the Prophet said, Make over the keys to me. I shall take over this responsibility. <coughs> in addition to the right of uh, drinking water and other things. And then this verse was revealed, a verse in question, implying the return of the keys of the Kaaba to Banu Shaiba, the original tribe. Because they are the most, the best place to render this responsibility over to the people. So this indicates from the occasion of the revelation of this ayah, the circumstances surrounding it, this indicates that anyone carrying out a public function, anyone carrying out a public function, should entrust the affairs of the Muslims to the best Muslim capable of managing these affairs, whatever they may be. And we have to make decisions every step we go along when we organize ourselves together. Of course, individually we have to, but this becomes even more imperative when we are organized together, collectively, for example, in our case, during da'wah. We have to choose the best person for the best job, for the best place. And remember all of these things, because in the foremost of our minds, promotion of the deen comes first. And the other people have to understand if they are sincere, that sometimes if they don't get selected or chosen, it's because the one in charge did not see, did not even fit for this particular function. And the trust should be there regarding the choosing capability of the Amir, or the President, or the manager of a company, what have you. So it is the duty of the man in office to look for the best of Muslims when he delegates the subordinate offices under him. Anything, viceroys, judges, commanders, scribes, accountants, collectors of taxes. You know, for example, it is mentioned, one who collects taxes ought to have the quality of bravery and hard working. Whereas somebody who is um, very loyal is needed to keep account of the money coming in and the money going out. So the one in charge must remember all these things before assigning positions to anybody. In this respect we have the hadith of Rasulullah He who is invested with any affair of the Muslims, any affair of the Muslims, and delegates a part of this affair to a man, while at the same time he knows of a better man for this affair of the Muslims, then he is a traitor in the eyes of Allah and of his Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa This is how important these things, these things are. And it's very important for us because we are, as we say, have lots of friends and lots of interest to promote each other. Sometimes we do out of the goodness of the heart to just push someone forward to make him happy. But really, we should not be doing these things because then we might somehow violate the requirement upon us to make over the trust as a, saint, you know, a sacred thing to do. A religious obligation upon us. With another hadith, he who invests a man with an office in a community, while he knows in this same community a better man for this office is there, he is a cheater of Allah, of his, of his Messenger Sallallahu and of the Muslims. This is related to Sahih al Hakim, Hakim. And others also related from Umar Radhiallahu. He said pretty much the same thing. While he was the Khalifa, anyone invested with an affair of the Muslims who then delegates a part of that affair to another because of some friendship or relationship is a cheater of Allah, of his messenger and of the Muslims. So to the extent we are serious about being Muslims, to the extent we are serious about carrying out the functions of the Muslims, to, to propagate the message, to establish the deen, to that extent we have to be very serious about selecting and making over trust, otherwise we will leave a large gap in fulfillment of our deen. So all of these should choose their representatives from among the best Muslims at their disposal. And none should be invested with an office on the pretext that he had made an early application, or maybe that he thinks himself fit for it. On the contrary, such people are to be excluded from the investiture. Anybody who comes and volunteers and says, no, I ought to do it, I am the best person. Why have you given it to him? I feel bad in my heart and so on. 
them that is wrongness on his part, that in itself indicates that he has dis- he disqualifies from being put in charge of anything of an affair. The Muslims. And Ibn Taymiyyah then goes on to adduce two proofs on behalf of, of, of the statement he makes from the Sahih al-Bukhari and Sahih al-Muslim. The two very well-known hadith. But a group of men visited the Prophet and asked for one of them for viceroyalty, if you like, a, a bit of um, overseeing the affairs of the Muslims in a particular part of land. So he answered, we do not install in our offices those who ask for them. On another occasion, the Prophet said to Abdul Rahman ibn Samurah, anhu, Ya Abdul Rahman, never ask for amirship. If it was given to you unasked for, you will be aided in managing it. But if it was given to you after application, you're soliciting it, you're asking for it, campaigning for it, you will be left in it to your fault. And that's in Bukhari and Muslim. Straight away we know when it comes to like establishing our authority and so on, one must follow the sunnah, therefore it cannot be right the way things happen in modern politics in terms of campaigning for votes and propagating one's own image in all the paraphernalia of electioneering that we find nowadays. And what has also said in the Sunnah, and that's Ibn Majah, Abu Dawood, Tirmidhi and Nasai, these four sources. When it says Sunan, it means these four sources. He who asks for a position of a judge and makes others intercede in his favor. So if somebody comes along and puts in a good word on your behalf, please tell the man who makes you judge, make me judge, will be left in it to his fate. And he who is invested in it without asking for it, and without asking others to intercede in his favor, Allah will send down an angel to direct him in it aright. So this is the blessings we receive when each man knows his own place, where he fits in. Everyone else, one of us should be contented that we are playing our full part with the deepest sincerity to promote the deen. And we are working as sincerely as we can, and we get chosen sometimes, we don't get chosen sometimes, and so on and so forth. It is all, inshallah, because we want to render our trust properly. If a man in authority left the better and the fitter man in favor of another, for whatever relationship, then he is a cheater of Allah, as we mentioned. It could be for anything, like the same country he comes from, maybe it's from the same family, it could be because he had helped him previously. He had, he had helped him previously on any favors done. Maybe it is because uh, somebody was emancipated from his slavery by a, a person. So that, that doesn't mean that now he's obliged to make up a trust to him even if he doesn't deserve it, out of, as a favor, that is wrong. And we have ayat to that effect in the Qur'an. O you who believe, betray not the trust of Allah and the Rasul more misappropriate knowing these things and trusted to So doing that sort of thing, not keeping things in perspective, and keeping the interest of the deen foremost, and the affairs and comforts of the Muslims foremost, and preferring what one chooses because of one, favors done to one, French and so on, is actually betraying the trust of Allah and His Messenger. And know you that your possessions And know you that your possessions and your progeny, your children, are but a child, and that it is Allah with whom lies the highest reward. That's how the ayah goes. <coughs> In fact, what we understand, as the Shaykh goes on to explain, if somebody actually makes over the trust to someone who deserves it, he's going to be helped by Allah. He's going to be helped by Allah, and if he doesn't, he's going to be punished by Allah. And we have a story relating to that. And it's interesting to note that these Salaf scholars, they used to make use of the stories, real life events. They used to relate what they found in the Sharia, in the teachings, in the stories of the Quran and the Sunnah, to real day events, the real life problems and so on, and find a connection and see how it was relevant to their own lives. And he relates a story about an Abbasid Khalifa, Khalifa, but once he asked the learned man, which is witness, and said, I've seen, he said, I've seen Umar ibn Abdul Aziz on his deathbed. And someone came to him and said, Ya Amir al-Mu'mineen, we're talking about the Khalifa, Umar ibn Abdul Aziz, rahimahullah. On his deathbed, he said, Ya Amir al-Mu'mineen, you have deprived your sons of the great wealth of the state, and made them go hungry most of the time. 
and you will leave them after you're extremely poor. So they're expressing, how can you do that? It's your responsibility to make sure that you left your children in good shape, well fed and cared for. So Umar ibn Abdul Aziz was then in his last illness, so he said, to, uh, he said, let them come in, let my children come in. He called for them. They did. They all came in, and all of them were underage. They were not more than ten in number. And none of them had reached his majority. So he had a large number of children, alhamdulillah, and they were not old. So when he saw them, he cried. He cried the seeing they were fed, whatever he felt. Then he said, oh my son, I have not deprived you of anything you had a right to. Neither was I a man who would deprive others of their goods to give these goods to you. So have I not given you what belongs to you, what is rightfully yours? Yes, I have. And I'm not going to take out of other people's things to give to you and favor you above the others. That would be deceiving and stealing from the others. Every one of you may be a righteous or unrighteous man. If he's righteous, then Allah will take care of him. If he's unrighteous, I will not leave to him money which he will use in the way of disobedience to Allah. But this is the, not only of the Khalifa, also shows the feeling of a father who generally cares for the being of his children. But I will not, I'm not going to leave money for you, my sons, if you're disobedient, to use that against Allah's deen. So you may go out, and he, and the children left. And then the, 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 the person who was relating this to the Abbasid Khalifa said, I've seen, I've witnessed some of these sons afterwards, so rich as to be able to furnish 100,000, 100 horses, to go to jihad. They were all very, very wealthy because they are blessed by Allah. And that's the point. And here again there is about some other, we don't want to go into the details, of some other stories about other similar sort of Khalifa. One of them, for example, left 500,000 dirhams each one of his sons, taken from the public funds obviously, and he has seen them begging in the streets later on. We have a hadith now, again, from Ahl Muslim, from Abu Dhar al-Ghifari, anhu. He's telling us Prophet that Prophet said this amishik, this sort of being in a position of commanding, being in a position of overseeing matters, controlling their affairs, any level, is, is a trust. It is a trust, it's an amana, as it is on the last day, it is disgrace and regret, unless one has received it in the right way, and behaved honorably during his term of office. So if somebody just aspires for it and takes it by wheeling and dealing and poisoning people's minds, affecting his own leadership and all sorts of things that goes on, then no problem, each one of us will face Allah on the Day of Judgment, everybody will, and it will be a cause of disgrace and regret on the Day of Judgment, as told to us by Prophet Also in the Bukhari we have, on the authority of Abu Hurairah Prophet said, if the trust is lost, and this is how important this trust is, that we remember it, not only to apply it, but also be applied upon us. He said, if the trust is lost, then the last day is at hand. Wait for it. So he was asked, how can it be lost? How can this amana be lost? Prophet replied, if the officers, if the officers were assigned to people not worthy of these offices, then this means that the last day is at hand. And all of us know, from whatever we have studied, about the conditions obtaining during the last time. Chaos, and no trust, and cheating, and lying, and false witnessing and all sorts of depravity going on. So this is how important this trust is. And even if we are very few number of people, and the salafi of salafin are very small nowadays and so on, doesn't matter, all of us have to stick together and apply this as a fundamental concern if we are really working together collectively to promote the deen. If the trust is lost, then wait for the last day. How can it be lost? If the offices were assigned to people not worthy of these offices, then this means the last, that the last day is at hand. This is how it's understood at any level. So we must take care, like when we are having some do a talk someplace, if we know that this person can maybe sort of mess it up, it's not because we have an ill feeling towards this brother, it's not because we think he's not a good Muslim or anything, we just think under the particular circumstances in this, on, in this case, this brother is best left not being sent there. And he should accept it as well, because every one of us is intelligent and sincere, look at himself, looks at himself and, and evaluates his own stances. And if the Taliyah says the Muslims are unanimous about this. <coughs> the Muslims are unanimous about this. Whether it's like the guardian of an orphan, or the custodian of some rock property, and so on and so forth. And in this connection we have, وَلَا تَقْرَبُوا مَا لَا 
إلا بالتي هي أحسن حتى يبلغ أشد أشده أن دونات كام نيات دي أوكنس بابتي إكسبت الكوفيد أنتل يتيز دي أيج أوف كوستان سين إبريزي لتا إف بميس This is because the viceroy is in the position of a shepherd. And the word Rai is used many often as many places as well. In fact, we found ourselves that the, uh, the commander of the battlefront, entire battlefront in Afghanistan, was termed the shepherd. And they were well. very fond of him calling our shepherd, our shepherd. Didn't call him our Amir. And they understood this point, that the people, the person in charge is really just fulfilling the function of being a shepherd. It could be the husband, he's a shepherd. It could be somebody's working in office, he's a shepherd. Prophet said, every one of you is a shepherd. This is the meaning from the two hadith, the hadith from Bukhari and Muslim. <laughs> every one of you is a shepherd, and every one of you is responsible for his flock. The Khalifa who rules the people is a shepherd, and he is responsible for those whom he governs. The woman is a shepherdess in her husband's house, and she is responsible for the household. The youngster is a shepherd in regard to his father's wealth. And he is responsible for the money at his disposal. The slave is a shepherd as regards his master's possessions. And, and he is responsible for these possessions. Lo, every one of you is a shepherd and every one of you is responsible for his flock. And this is how we must learn to take responsibilities and have responsibilities applied to us as we go along in life a sincere, serious people who are trying to promote the being, insha'Allah. Also in Sahih al-Muslim, the Prophet said, this is the meaning in English, any shepherd to whom Allah has entrusted his flock, who dies one day, after having cheated his subjects, Allah will not allow him to breathe the fragrance or the odor of paradise. And this is Sahih, in Sahih al-Muslim, who must be very careful. And we wonder about the situation of our rulers and our People in authority who have so openly violated this trust and have misappropriated, misappropriated the wealth of the people and in fact not only that, have taken it away from them, to give it to the kuffar instead. And a companion Abu Muslim al-Khawlani anhu is from him, relates, once he entered the audience chamber of Mu'ayyah ibn Abi Sufyan anhu, the first Umayyad Khalifa. So this companion, who was a companion, Abu Muslim al-Khawlani, was a companion, he entered the audience chamber of the first Umayyad Khalifa, Mu'awiyah ibn Abu Sufyan, and said, Salaamu Alaikum, O Hireling, the O Hireling. And the audience said, Say, Salaamu Alaikum, Ya Amir. Abu Muslim said, Salaamu Alaikum, O Hireling. Again the audience said, Say, Salaamu Alaikum, Ya Amir. He said, Salaamu Alaikum, Ya Hireling. One who is hired. And Mu'awiyah then interrupted and said, look, leave him. Leave him. He's better acquainted with what he says. He's a companion. He knows better what he's talking about. And then Abu Muslim who explained, he said, you are a hireling whom the Lord of these sheep has hired to take care of. So if you tar the itchy among them and cure the sick and put the surplus of the more advanced richer people at the service of the poorer, their Lord will repay you their Lord will repay you in full. If you on the contrary do not tar the itchy, nor cure the sick, nor put the surplus, or the more advanced the service of the less advanced, their Lord will punish you. This is how he advised in a very charming way. It also shows us the manners of the Salaf, how they would advise the government. How they would advise the government to be firm in following the trust. A simple example, for example, supposing I have, I have a business, <coughs> and I have, I, I said, Salad, sell this clothes for me. And he knows this clothes can be sold for five dollars a piece, sorry, five pounds a piece. But he has a friend, and the friend comes along, because he's his friend, he gives it for three pounds a piece. Then he has broken his trust with me. And he has betrayed me, and I'm not going to punish him. It, it's like this. Life is filled for every sort of situation we are at. Buying, selling, looking after, in the family is doing da'wah and sending people on expeditions, <coughs> jihad, every level it is like that. That's how the family goes on to explain. So that's about the first uh, subheading, the right man in his right place. We must choose that as a religious obligation. That when we are doing da'wah, we are not messing about, we are not playing a game, it's not a question of pleasing each other, it's a question of honestly understanding 
and remembering the promotion of the deen to be the foremost. And that's how we do everything inshallah. The next thing is choosing the best man available. The point is, one has discharged his duty honestly when he has done his best to choose the best man for the job. However, this man may turn out to be. If, for example, somebody is in charge of a da'wah group, he evaluates honestly and sincerely and you trust him that he does do so, and he selects a person to do a particular job and he fails, then this man responsible of the da'wah group is not responsible, for, is not to blame, because he has fulfilled his obligation. In this connection we have several ayah. For example, the most famous one, which is applied in many other situations as well. So fear Allah as much as you can, listen and obey. It is down to each one of us to fear Allah as much as we can and to select the best that we can, remembering we are accountable to Allah. And his, his deen must not be obstructed at all. I may hate the person next to me, but if he is the best person for giving a talk on a certain subject, I should promote him because it is not my privilege at stake. It is the deen of Allah which is at stake if I choose somebody else. And I cannot be a sincere Muslim, be an obstruction. And it, it turns out every, every other angle, it could be you are disaffected, you are upset with somebody, it could be you are moaning or groaning because you are unhappy about the way things are in a certain jama'ah. But even then, if you are sincere, one must choose one's words, to whom he speaks, how he speaks, what he says. Because in the end, either he's trying to say, look, these people are really bad, and they're actually an obstruction of deen themselves, or they're creating obstructions themselves because they hate you so much. لا يكلف الله الناس من الله لها ما كسبت عليها ما كسبت. That's the other ayah. On no soul does Allah place a burden greater than it can bear. We can only try our best. فقاتل في سبيل الله لا تكلف إلا نفسك وحرد المؤمنين. Thou then fight in the cause of Allah. Kill in the cause of Allah. You are held responsible only for yourself. We try our best. And after that each person is responsible for his own deeds and statements. O oh, you who believe, Ya ayyuha alladheena aamanu alaykum anfusakum la yadurrukum man dalla idha ahtadaytum O you who believe, guard your own souls. If you follow right guidance, no hurt can come to you from those who stray. And many of us stray in so many ways. Personal problems and resentments come foremost and they bubble over and that seems to color our thinking and our way we deal with each other. And inshallah we are trying to get rid of this. That is why we are talking about this subject today. So he who does his best in discharging his duty is in the right way. And Prophet says, if I give you an order, fulfill it to the best of your ability. So at the end of the day, all of us need to serve, need to search our hearts and say, have I tried to fulfill my obligations towards being and proclamation of Tawheed in the best way? Have I been sincere? Best of my ability, have I? This is in Bukhari and Muslim, part of the hadith. And then Ibn goes on to explain the same thing, reiterate again, saying that the misgovernment was due to a lack of capacity in the appointed official, and the person who appointed him knew about it but didn't take care, then of course he is going to be paying for it somehow or other. So investiture in a public function rests on two bases now. So we are going to be choosing things, we want to learn something practical. So we want to now understand how to select, make the best choice. It rests on two bases, capacity and loyalty. Loyalty is very important for his capacity. And both find their own strains, own levels of um, equilibrium regarding each function that we are tackling. And the proofs are as follows. For example, we have it in uh, the Quran. Said one of the, the, the ladies, O oh my father, engage him on wages. Truly the best of men for you to employ is the man who is strong and trustworthy. In Makhaira Manistajarta, Al-Qawiyyul Ameen is trustworthy, Ameen, and strong, can carry out the function. There's no something very strong and he's not trustworthy and he doesn't understand responsibility, he messes things up even after being told for some time, he doesn't learn for the better, then there's a problem. We shall then downgrade him to a position where he can do less damage <coughs> to the da'wah. And da'wah comes first. So the king said, bring him unto me, I will take him specially Yusuf salam, this is fair I'm saying about Yusuf salam. So the king said, bring him unto me, I will take him specially to serve about my own person. Therefore when he had spoken to him, he said, be assured this day, 
Verily, this is the word of a most honorable messenger in relation to Jibreel alayhi salam, for example, we are told in the surah. Verily, this is the word of a most honorable messenger imbued with power, with rank before the Lord of the throne, with authority there and faithful to his trust. Muti'in, muta'in, thumma ameen. The quwa and thumma ameen. He has his strength, he's strong, and he's faithful to his trust. He's entrusted with something, and he carries it out. And same we do everywhere. Husband, earn. Wife, a woman marries a man. The man's responsibility. He's now entrusted to look after this girl whom he has taken in wedlock. And it is his duty to provide and look after the wife. It is the duty of the wife not to entertain anybody in the house whom the husband doesn't like to be entertained. If, he's done, if she does so, if she has broken something obligated upon her, upon her from the Quran. So we are talking about trust at all levels, inshallah. But capacity varies as to the public function in, in, intended. In war, for example, is bravery. It is skill in, in war and so on. And all of this comes into the tasbih of the ayah and make ready against them your strength to the utmost. وَعَيْدُ لَهُمْ مَسْتَطَعَتُمْ مِنْ قُوَّةٍ وَمِنْ رِبَةَ الْخَيْلِ تُرْحِبُونَ بِهِ عَدُوَ لِلْعَدُوَ اللَّهِ وَعَدُوَكُمْ Against them make ready your strength to the utmost. See, even when we are preparing for jihad, we must take into account trust. These people can be my commanders in chiefs. These people can be placed in the rear guard position. These people can take over those mountain positions and so on. They won't betray and they won't run away in face of the attack and so on. Everything must be calculated and the right person is the right thing, inshallah. And in this case, Prophet said, Learn to shoot and to ride, for I should like more that you be able to shoot than to ride. He who has once learned to shoot, and then forgets about it, does not belong to us. This is a trust. Every Muslim should spontaneously jump forward when the Amir al-Mu'mineen calls him to do jihad. Every Muslim should feel it in his heart, burning, to do, to want to do jihad. Nobody wants to die in bed, like a groaning old rag. So he who has learned to shoot, then forgets about it, does not belong to us. Another verse says, Al Muslim, is a grace, it is a grace from Allah, the shooting, for which he was ungrateful. Somebody learns to shoot, to fight, to throw knives, whatever, martial arts, and he becomes rusty, and he loses interest, and becomes sort of sedentary. This is not the way of a Muslim. A Muslim rides and shoots on. Capacity to judge among the people consists in, for example, now, how about a judge? Now, many of us nowadays volunteer, and this is a very major problem. Sometimes we take upon ourselves to judge between people, and we are not equipped for it. And we are only trying to do a favor, we are only trying to be nice and be kind and bring about justice, but one has to be very careful about this. Capacity to judge among the people consists in the knowledge of justice, according to the Quran and the Sunnah, and in the ability to be able to carry out the sentences. These are the required three requirements. Now, if I may go on to explain, there are three requirements in this. Okay, we have a problem, and every one of us should try his best, obviously, but he must keep in mind three characteristics, inshallah. The fear of Allah comes first. Then the upholding of Allah's commandments. That I shall not now give in to Allah's commandments. I mean, I mean, give up. Because I'm afraid it is too stern. I'm afraid it doesn't deserve it. And we have many, many situations like this. Um, as we'll find as we go along, inshallah. So the fear of Allah, the upholding of Allah's commandments at the expense of worldly gain. And not to fear men. Both of them are mentioned, complementing each other. Fear of Allah and not to fear men. One would have thought it would have been sufficient to say fear of Allah and leave it at that. No. At the same time, we must have a rejection of the fear of men. Otherwise, we cannot be in a position of judge. Just like Tawheed, we cannot worship Allah unless we actively negate, deify anything else besides Allah. Actively reject. So both of them come together. But from this, there's a hadith sahih. Before that, if we go to an ayah, Surah Al-Ma'idah, the ayah, it shows that, look, if a person is not able to carry out the, the um, sentence, he's weak-hearted or he thinks he may not apply, or he thinks he may twist it or something, then he's not ready. Because in that case, he has changed, basically, this ayah is brought in, 
are somehow made relevant in this book. We have it in the Quran, therefore fear not men, therefore fear not men, but fear me, and do not sell my signs for miserable price. So one must be, have the ability to be able to carry out justice properly before he embarks on it. And so the hadith which is sahih comes in the Sunan. Of every three judges, what Hassan told us, of every three judges, two go to hell, and one only enters paradise. One knew the truth, but he gave a verdict contrary to that, which he knew. He goes to hell. Another judged among the people without knowing the truth of the dispute. And how often does this happen amongst us? In petty cases, maybe you may think, but how often does it happen? We hear something, somebody come and tell me something about a brother, and that's a state for an opinion, make up my mind, and I go and pass it on to another brother. First and come and tell me about something about Ahmed. Next I'll get very impressed about it. I will go and go and tell Salim about it. Did you know for us to me and who? And we both agree with each other what a bad person Ahmed is. This is forming an opinion, forming a stance. And then eventually gets out of hand perhaps with lots of people. And now let's do justice. We come forward and already we are biased. Already we have a lot of yeah. feelings and hatred and resentment against each other. Now we are not equipped to do justice. So it's the second point. Another judge among the people without knowing the truth of the dispute. He also goes to hell. And one knew the truth and judged accordingly. He it is who enters hell. This is trust. This is how we carry out and fulfill the requirement of making over trust to those who are responsible for it. And the name judge, what do the Salaf Salihin understand about judge? I mean, are we talking about those sitting in the Sharia courts, you know? But the name judge applies to anyone who judges between two parties and pronounces a party. Yes, I think, yes, Ahmed was wrong. No, I think Talib was wrong. This sort of thing. Any two parties, any two people, any two individuals, you want to pronounce a verdict, who was right, who was wrong, you want to bring about justice, you are a judge. To the extent that even he who plays the expert amongst choosing whose, which child's handwriting is best, he is in the position of a judge, as we mentioned by the Salaam Allah, because the companions of the Messenger of Allah understood it to be so, and they mentioned it actually, the companion Even somebody who judges between the handwriting, preferring which handwriting is best for the two students, he is a judge, and he is now in a great position of rendering back the trust. So you can't let all my son, I want my son to get the prize, so I'll say my son has won the test. You know, this sort of thing is not on. Now, capacity and loyalty, a bit more about it, and in this regard we find Umar who actually I'm expressing concern. Concern to Allah. He's complaining to Allah. He has this very nice habit of complaining only to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Umar ibn Khattab was saying, Oh my Lord, only to you I complain of the endurance of the wanton. People who just make rush about and do things, you know, not thinking it out, not being responsible and sincere and balanced. Oh my Lord, only to you I complain of the endurance of the wanton and the incapacity of the trusted. He suffered. A person in charge must feel, oh, I wish I had get more competent people. I wish people would be more responsible. They kept their appointments. They kept their, you know, kept their word. This sort of thing. And so on. So when two men are candidates for the same public function, one of greater loyalty than the other, and the, and the other of greater capacity, we choose the one more useful. It's not hard and fast rule. It depends on the function. So now we have two candidates for a particular public function. Somebody's going to build a mosque, somebody's going to build a bridge, a road, somebody's going to organize a conference, somebody's going to ask somebody to do a talk. We have two sisters available, only one can do a talk, so we can only do so many talks at a seminar. Which one shall we prefer? Two of them are great. So one is loyalty, the other is capacity. In this case, we choose the one that is most beneficial for this public function. It may be that this sister, particular sister, is not very, very strict or very loyal or something. Maybe she has some moanings or groaning, but she can deliver the talk better. She can explain to the people, to people they are being better. So we choose her, not the one who is more loyal. Like this, we have to choose her at every step. And again, jihad situation, the one who can fight and has better strategy, we choose him. Maybe he's not so loyal and so on. And in this case, we have the position of Imam Ahmed bin Hamad, rahimahullah. He was once asked this particular question. Who of the two should lead an expedition for battle? The strong and the salute. The simple, the strong and not the morally strong, um, firm. Or the righteous and weakling. 
Imam Ahmad said, in the case of the dissolute, dissolute and strong, his strength would be at the service of the Muslims. Now the, the concern is the welfare of the Muslims. In the case of the strong, that's simple, his strength would be at the service, at the service of the Muslims. While he alone suffers from his lanternness. The righteous and weakling, on the other hand, enjoys the results of his righteousness, while the Muslims may suffer from his weakness. Then expeditions are preferred to be under the leadership of the strong and wanton. Ayyub Hassan said, Allah would reinforce this religion, this deen, for even the sinful person, or another narration, by people of no moral standing. So we didn't become too over concerned about the piety of people. Of course we had a general ruling in the school of the Hujurat, he among you who is more pious is the better of you. In, in terms of choosing as a position of trust, we give it to him or her who best fulfills this function in, in, in the correct way. So that is the position of Ahmad al and he explained with this hadith, this hadith is very comforting for us. Allah would reinforce this religion by even the, the simple or people of no moral standing. So we've not become too unduly concerned about people being a bit sometimes childish or shallow thinking and they go about airing their resentments and problems to each other without sort of really trying to see how best to sort things out in the promotion of the deen. And we have in this, conte- uh, in, in this context that's an example to look at from Prophet Hassan by Khalid ibn al-Walid radiallahu anhu ever since he entered Islam Prophet Hassan always said Khalid is a sword which Allah has unsheathed against the disbelievers. He appreciated this quality he was indispensable more or less in terms of leading the army the jihad. That was, on the other hand, also from raising his hands to, to the sky and saying, Oh my Lord, I disclaim before you that which Khalid has done. And this happened in, when Khalid was sent to Banu Jadima and he massacred a lot of people were killed in that battle. But from then paid blood money and gained back the um, possessions captured. This is a mistake on the part of Khalid. And so he prayed to Allah said, Oh Allah, I disclaim before you that which Khalid has done. But did he stop sending him in battle? No. He continued even after that to send Khalid bin Walid to lead the Muslim army. Because he was the best place to carry out this function. This is now rendering over the trust. We have Abu Dhar al-Ghifar al who was more loyal. I mean, it is known about him. And about him it is said that he was, I mean, I mean, I mean we have hadith like, Neither heaven has sheltered, nor earth has carried a man more truthful than Abu Dhar, radiallahu anhu. A very big compliment from Prophet Sallallahu means a lot. Neither the heaven has sheltered, covered, neither the sky has covered, nor the earth has carried anyone more truthful than Abu Dhar, And many other hadiths similar are found in the Sahih collection. But about him, what do we find? Prophet Sallallahu said, Ya Abu Dhar, I realize that you are weak. I wish to you what I wish for myself. Never try to be an overseer to any two people, not even two people, nor try to be a guardian to an orphan. Sahih Muslim. Because why? Is he downgrading him? Is he putting him down and content? Is he trying to make him feel bad? Of course not. It's a question of rendering the trust. He was most suitable. You have very good quality, you're the most trustful in everything. But Rasulullah did not see, think he was fit to be even in charge of looking after two people. Or even to be guardian of an orphan. And he said so. I wish to you what I wish for myself. Never try to be an overseer to any two people. Nor try to be a guardian to an orphan. And this is the golden principle. That I wish to you what I wish for myself. Ourselves, none of us would like to be in a position of responsibility where he is not to judge, or to choose, or to appoint, or to oversee, or to manage. None of us would prefer that. If it is given, everybody helps, everybody else helps, he asks Allah's help, and things work out. If not, then he has a problem. And then there are many, many uh, other examples given. For example, for a place, Usama ibn Zaid, in charge, he was 17 years old. And in the, in the group, there are many, many senior companions, more knowledgeable even. But why did... Because his father was killed by the Byzantine and he had wanted Usama to be stronger in taking revenge from these Kuffar on the Byzantine. He was best placed to lead the army, more capable, he had some interest, 
So the Prophet considered the positive interests of the Muslims. They preferred to send an expedition under the leadership of a certain man, although they might have been, they might be in the expedition's men of higher standing and knowledge, and so on. Abu Bakr Radlanu did the same regarding Khalid bin Walid Radlanu, but in the end what happened when Omar Radlanu came along, he deposed him and put somebody else in charge. He put Abu Ubaidah, Amir ibn al-Jarrah, radiallahu anhu. And Abu Ubaidah al-Jarrah was known for his leniency, he was softer. Khalid bin Walid was very stern, very strict. Abu Bakr was soft, radiallahu anhu. Omar was very stern and strict, but, radiallahu anhu, but Abu Ubaidah was from this a golden principle is extracted by this Amir Allah. He says, this attitude, this example from the Salaf al-Salihin, from the companions, emphasize a definite thought. A definite thought that when the highest officer is inclined towards kindness, the highest officer is inclined towards kindliness, his representative should have some inclination towards severity. Such severity, harshness, to balance it up. Equally true would be when the highest officer is of a stern character, his representative would be lenient, so that an equilibrium in the treatment of subordinates will be They complement, and that's how we must learn to complement, inshallah. Allah has graced us with qualities, each one of us has qualities, good and bad, but which have qualities of different intensity, sharpness. All of us are truthful, all of us are brave, but surely, comparatively, relatively, some are braver than the others. All of us want to fight jihad. Surely again, relatively speaking, some more than others. All of us are strong against some more than others. We have to use the compliment. Some can put forward the message very cogently, persuasively, strongly. Others are very weak and feel, you know, bad about hurting the other person's feeling and so on. Find the compliment each other. This is how, inshallah, we learn to work together in Jama'ah. Some is the Apostle of Allah, Messenger of Allah, and those who are with him are strong against the unbelievers, but compassionate amongst each other. And also, all you who believe, if any from among you turn back from his faith, soon will Allah produce the people whom he will love as they will love him. Lowly with the believers, mighty against the rejectors, hiding in the way of Allah, and never afraid of the reproaches of such as find fault. We merely want to push forward the being. We know we are all sincere, we are working for the right thing, and we learn for the better as we go along. That is the proof of our sincerity. And we have it the same, and that's why you, how you found Abu Bakr and Omar al-Anhum and so on, about whom we have been told, you know, follow the two who have come after me. Follow the two who have come after me, Abu Bakr and Omar. So we take from the examples, inshallah, as proof. And the point remains, as Ibn Tamir goes on to explain, the point remains, if one man, however, is not enough, then several men should be chosen for the office. If one is not enough, then several men should be chosen for the office. The lawyer would be preferred, for example, in the case of the exchequer, uh, but uh, collecting dues and guarding need both strength and loyalty. So just loyalty wouldn't be enough. And so one needs discretion. But one must be, inshallah, prepared to make over the trust and best way. Now, so there's another rule to remember, if authority is maintained, now, no organization, no business, no sort of anything, no concern, no nothing can be maintained unless there is authority. Authority has to be there, whether Khalifa, or whether you're talking about being a, a headmaster in a school, or whether you're talking about being the chief bricklayer among a group of bricklayers, you have to have authority. Somebody who directs and takes decision in whatever affairs. And when people are collected together, to do da'wah again, you have to have authority. And authority is maintained, we explained, by either by a strong ruler, who rules by fear, or by a benevolent ruler, in agreement, and, and in agreement with the people. Very nice, always gives in, and always tells the line of whatever people has come and take him, push him about, and, and so on. Two ways, and some of us may react and say, I think the latter way is better. What's the, you know, it's not good to sort of impose and be dictatorial. But in the time he explains and says, in fact, both ways are needed to pursue certain situations. Authority must be there with fear, with strength, as well as with kindliness and consultation, and so on. And although the incapable may be invested as a judge when necessity calls for it, when he's the best man available, then the duty is we should all strive to improve his conditions. 
And that is the point made. The debtor, then he goes into explaining about the debtor. One who is in debt, for example. He should try to settle all his debt. This is a trust now. If he doesn't fulfill it, he's not bothered about it. He's not really striving to you know, pay back what he's borrowed. Then he's negating. He's actually not living up to a fundamental concern in the deen. The debtor also should try to settle all his debts, though he's not required to do so, but to pay that part which he's able to, and so on, and so forth, and so on. We now come to the last subheading, inshallah, how to choose the best. How to choose the best is best, uh, it is attained by knowing the aim of the public function and how to achieve it. So in, in our case, for as a jama'ah, for example, we need to know what is the aim of the group, the movement, what is its aim, and how do we achieve it. And I think many, many of the senior brothers and sisters are well acquainted with, about these things. Maybe they have not sat down and collected their thoughts together and uh, sort of in a structured way. But we have enough material, enough knowledge to find the answers to both. Whatever we are doing, if we are building a house, the aim of the public concern, function, and how to acquire it. If we know these two things, look into these two things, we'll know how to choose the best. And this naturally so. The rulers who have worldly aims will choose those people who promote their own stances. Everyone who seeks authority for himself will engage those who will support his authority. So that's not the way we go about the thing. In our case, the concern is the deen. It's always the religion. The deen is the religion. The Quran and Sunnah, message of the Salaf al-Salihin, how to bring most people by the grace of Allah into the saved state. This is the concern. How to eradicate bid'ah. How to promote the idea of jihad in the hearts of people. How to make us be free of the slavery of the kuffar system. All of these things we do, inshallah. So the customary tradition was, and the tradition, how was it? The tradition was that he who used to lead the Muslims in the Friday prayer and in other prayers in common and deliver the khutbah was the man usually appointed to lead the Muslims in the battle. This is how it used to be. As these were the representatives of the Khalifas in the armies. And that is why we find, when Prophet um, asked Abu Bakr to lead, people automatically knew who was to be in charge. Because prayer is the most important public function to fulfill. Whenever a man was sent by the Prophet on an expedition, that man was to lead his men in prayer. This you will find if you look at the hadith. Whenever we have a case of, for example, um, governors, governors of cities, the case of Attab ibn Asid he was a foreign governor of Mecca, Uthman ibn al-As, governor of Ta'if, Ali ibn Talib, Muad ibn Jabal, Abu Musa, Musa al-Ash'ari, Amal ibn Hazm, and so on and so on. Many, many examples are given. We needn't go to all of them. And the, and the wonderful thing we find at the end of this quotation is the prayer that Prophet is to pray. Generally the meaning is, Oh my Lord, if somebody was ill, somebody useful, somebody deserved, he would say, go to him and say, O oh my Lord, restore the health of your servant, that he may attend your prayer, and defeat an enemy of yours. Always. What makes Islam the strongest? What makes the word of Allah the supreme? That was the primary concern. O oh my Lord, restore the health of your servant, that he may attend your prayer, says worshipping you, and defeat an enemy of yours. The propagation and establishment of the deen of Allah. And he said to Mu'ad ibn al-Jabal, when he said to Yemen, to Yemen, Ya Mu'ad radiallahu anhu, the most important matter in my eyes is prayer. And Umar ibn al-Khattab, the Khalifa radiallahu anhu, is also advised, he said, the most important of your duties in my eyes is prayer. He who performs prayer at his prescribed times and preserves it, does not neglect performing, that is, he preserves his religion. And he who ne- neglects it will be more negligent in his other matters of the life. How can we now in our case be serious and say, well, this brother is not praying proper, doesn't know how to need prayer, doesn't, is a bit careless about it, but we'll push him forward to do some other thing, teach people righteousness. It can't be so. So we must all as individual concern try and become very careful about preserving the prayer, inshallah. And as a prayer is the pillar of religion and, and some, some hadith and even in that context. And then some ayat and religion, I'm going to cut it short now, inshallah, time is running out. Prayer, because prayer helps man to perform his other duties and so on, a number of ayahs are given, which show that the prayer, if you practice patience, we practice patience and perseverance and prayer, and these sort of things will stand us in very good stead, give us brave, give, give us, um, uh, what do you brave, Braveness to face the problem, and the blessing of Allah will come, and we will be automatically provided for by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the aim of the public function is to try to reform the religious life of 
of the people. That is the aim of the rulers and so on. Reformation, as the reformation of the worldly affairs is required for the establishment of the religion. You can't go about preaching righteousness and say, yeah, do this, do that, but we are not prepared to do justice to each other. We are prepared to hear things out properly and make the right statements, not make value judgments, just on hearsay and superficial, you know, sort of uh, probings. So when the people have gone one way and the rulers another, then there arises a contradictory situation. But if the ruler does his best to improve both the religious and the civil conditions of his subjects, then he will be one of the noblest of his time, otherwise he will be in a very bad way. And in the context of ruler, a few hadith, and we finish, inshallah, in the Muslim of Ahmad, it's related. The most beloved in the eyes of Allah is the just ruler, and the most hateful in his eyes is the unjust ruler. And from Abu Huraira in the two Sahih, seven people will be sheltered on a day when there is no other shelter than his. And we know this one. A nice long hadith, he recounts seven people, because of the certain qualities, they are going to be very well placed in the day of judgment. A just ruler that comes first. Somebody who is a just ruler oversees matters. It could be the Khalifa, it could be any situation. And also the people of paradise in Sahih al-Muslim, the people of paradise are of three categories. A just ruler, and this middle one, what we will mention, is something very important to each one of us. A man good-natured towards every relative and every Muslim. A man good-natured towards every relative and every Muslim. And a man who is rich, chaste and charitable. Free. Sahih al-Muslim. And in this connection that I then use by Bithania and fight them all until there is no tumult of oppression and there prevails justice in the worship of Allah alone. All of this is meant to mean that his deen is established and the trust is restored to whom it belongs. The right person has the right jobs to carry out, inshallah. Anyway, I think I'll, I'll finish there, inshallah. With one last, uh, one last hadith. The last hadith is just something practical to make us um, <coughs> decide about uh, certain situations. It is from Sahih al-Muslim. It is a nice, nice statement. We should try and establish it properly. He's saying the leader in prayer should be he who is best versed in the reading of the Quran. It is understood from one explanation, from some uh, evidence that I've heard, and that's a position I'm inclined towards at the moment, although I've heard that Ibn Taymiyyah has dealt with this in another book, uh, at length with proof to the contrary. But my, the inclination at the moment is uh, the one who reads the Quran most means the one who has most knowledge of the Sharia, of Fiqh, and Hadith, and so on and so forth. Not the one just merely memorized it and he just parrots it off and doesn't understand anything. So the leader in prayer should be he who is best versed in the reading of the Qur'an. If there are several at the same level in this respect, then the best versed in the hadith. If there are several in this respect too, on the same level, then the leader should be the one who made his migration from Mecca to Medina earlier. That is why in a meeting at some time we asked, for example, which sister should be in charge? So I said, which sister has the longest in the jama'ah? Because naturally she has more knowledge, more experience, more information from the attending circle-wise to notes-wise to her own study and so on. It is a common assumption to make. We have to go by some rule of thumb to use the hadith, inshallah. Okay. If there are several in respect the same, then he who has made his migration from Mecca to Medina. The Muhajir consult them. If one of these then were, of, of these there are also several, then the leader in prayer should be the eldest among them. And no one may proceed to lead in prayer in the presence of the man of authority. Nor may one take the place of honor except with his permission, like sitting in his chair and so on. And in, in fact we have, if two men are of the same caliber, then we resort to drawing lots even, as Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas did on the battle of Hadithiyah, when the people disputed who should give the Adam, and he acted on the Hadith, if the people only knew the degree of merit in calling the faithful to prayer and in coming early to the mosque to sit in the first rank. We don't push and shout. Some of us sometimes misunderstand. We create hardships upon people. We don't do it that way. We don't push and shout and make things really difficult for people. No. You come early. If, you, if, if several people came early, there's a nice sunnah way of sorting out who should be in the first row of the prayers. 
somebody comes late and from the back he then comes forward and just pushes, it's not the way. They say the people only knew the degree of merit in calling the faithful to prayer and in coming early to the mosque to sit in the first rank without being able to determine which deserves either place except by drawing lots, they should draw lots. And that's what exactly Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas did. And so on and so forth, even Tanya goes on to explain, so even now who is going to give a talk, for example, any public office, can't decide. Who should be in charge? The Farazul Ahmed can't decide. Well, I draw lots and I decide in the end. And that's a perfectly legitimate Sunnah way to sort out matters. Anyway, this is the first part of the, of the talk. This covered uh, the trust relating to public functions. We haven't talked at all about those things concerning goods and for, for which we will have to wait some other day, inshallah. Subhanallah, bihamdi, subhanakallah, wa bihamdi, wa shadu an la ilaha illa anta. Thank you.